You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1950th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 12th of October 2023. The editor of this edition is Paul Langridge, the producer is Ruth Hill and your readers are Rob and Sue Cunningham-Snell. We should also mention our processing team who do work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And we will start, as usual, with the headlines. Uh, My first headline is Teenager makes it through to contest finals and open salon. My first is he was a charmer. He's going to leave a massive hole in our family. Call for warning signs after Lyme disease tick bite. Call remains for greater ambition over festive plans. A beauty student who overcome meningitis has gone on to open her own salon and become a finalist in the prestigious national competition. Jess Sharp, who is 18 from Mildenhall, studied on a level 3 beauty therapy course at West Suffolk College based in Bury St Edmunds last year. Jess, who is diagnosed with with and then overcame meningitis while studying at the college, has just opened a new salon in Barrow called Jessica's Beauty. She has also got through to the finals of a contest called World Skills. In the first round, she was chosen as one of 70 people out of 380 applicants to progress to the semi-finals, and then in the second phase she travelled to Birmingham to demonstrate her abilities in a number of different categories. After a rigorous progress, she was delighted to discover that she is one of the eight people who will be involved in the World Skills Finals that are taking place in Manchester this November. Jess said, I was shocked and excited when I found out I had progressed. I didn't think I'd done very well, so I was very emotional. In terms of the upcoming competition, she added, I'm going to do my best, and it would mean a lot if I became part of the Team UK squad. It would show me that all the hard work was worth it. If successful in the finals, winners get the chance to become part of Team UK, where they get the chance to represent their country at a Skills Olympics event. The next one taking place in Lyon in 2024. West Suffolk College tutors are giving Jess a regular support outside of their teaching hours. A lecturer, Karen Wright, said, We are so proud of Jess. This is the first time in West Suffolk College history that a beauty student has got this far. And former student Molly Rayner, who got to the final stages of World Skills in 2022 in the field of hairdressing, is also supporting her. 
In addition to her support of Jess and the college, Molly has just been chosen to become part of the British Fellowship of Hairdressers 2024 Club Star Art Team. After an auditioning process, Molly will now get the chance to travel the country as an ambassador, will be invited to a series of networking events, and she will also be mentored by some of the best hairdressers in the country. Molly Twenty from Snetterton, who has set up her own company called Hair by Molly, said, "This is an amazing opportunity." William Davis, whose life with a disability was watched by millions on television, has died aged twenty-four. William, who grew up in Bury St Edmunds, appeared on Channel Four documentary series Born to Be Different, which followed his life over ten series. From six months old to the age of about twenty, he was born with tuberous sclerosis complex, a disorder which caused mainly non-cancerous tumours to develop in different parts of his body. He also had autism. With a prognosis that he would be lucky to live beyond the age of ten, he defied doctors' expectations and, in recent years, gained some independence, as he lived in a flat in Great Wellington. With a twenty-four-hour two-to-one care team, he died at three fifty-three a.m. on Monday at St Nicholas Hospice Care. His mum, Paula, fifty-two, said, "He really was a larger-than-life character, and when he was well, he was so happy." William didn't stop with his enthusiasm for life. His nickname was Captain Chaos, because wherever he went, he left a path of chaos and people in a fit of laughter. He was cheeky, and had amazing comic timing. Born to be different, chronicled the highs and lows of William's life, and offered hope to other families struggling with similar disabilities. When William was two years old, he underwent brain surgery, and as he grew up, his behaviour became more challenging and extreme. It was thought to have been caused by more brain tumours, and at age eleven, he had major surgery for the second time. When the last series was broadcast in 2020, it was revealed he had developed a life-threatening, inoperable tumor on his kidney. His friend Zoe, who also featured in the show and with whom he shared an incredible bond, visited him on Sunday. When they, that is the Born to Be Different team, first came to us, I said, "Oh no, I hate cameras," but then ten years later, it was still going. We were lucky to be part of the Born to Be Different family, and it was our extended family," said Paula. It was mainly about helping people understand life with a severe disabled child. William, being so well known, actually helped other people. There are good bits. It isn't all doom and gloom. We often could do fun family things. She remembers him attending the opening ceremony of the Treehouse Hospice in Ipswich with the Princess of Wales. As the royal left, William turned to his dad Nick and said, "She's got a lovely bottom." Daddy, she turns around and grins at him. Paula said, "He was a charmer. He's going to leave a massive hole in our family." William lived his best life. She said, enjoying Doctor Who, Harry Potter, gaming, Disney, and Marvel. He saw Mamma Mia nine times at the cinema, like pub lunches. And enjoyed one last trip to Disneyland Paris in August. His mum praised Mount Farm Surgery, the hospice, and his care team from Avenues East, 
who have been with him every step of the way to give him the best life possible. Paul added, He was the centre of our family. Everything revolved around William. Jesse was the best sibling ever to him. We were so proud to be his parents. If we had to do it all again, I wouldn't have changed a thing, apart from to take away his suffering. He was such a massive personality, and so much fun. He always had a way of making you laugh. He had a way about him that made everybody smile. A Bury St Edmunds woman who developed Lyme disease after she says she was bitten by a tick at a tourist hotspot is calling for signage to warn others of the potential risk. Emily Marsh fell ill after suffering a tick bite. She says it was during a visit to the Abbey Gardens Rose Garden in September's heatwave. She has since developed Lyme disease and faces a potential recovery time of three to four months. However, she is disappointed by a council's response to her call for warning signs. I know a lot of children and older people go to the Abbey Gardens, yet there's no information anywhere about ticks and the possibility of ticks carrying Lyme disease, she said. I'm aware of ticks at other places, such as Thetford Forest, but I never thought for one moment ticks at the Abbey Gardens could become carriers of Lyme disease. Miss March said she had contacted West Suffolk Council about the matter twice and was promised a call back, which never materialised. The first person I spoke to didn't really know what to do and seemed concerned putting up signs might deter tourists said Miss March. I said the point was to make people aware. As a result of the bite, Miss March has visited West Suffolk Hospital's acute assessment unit on three occasions, visited accident and emergency, called 111 and visited her GP, while the illness has left her bedridden at times. Lyme disease can be really serious if it is not treated, and that is why this is so important. At least, if there is a sign, people, especially children and old people, can be aware. I don't think it's unreasonable for the public to be made aware, she added. A council spokesperson said, Ticks are very uncommon in areas such as kept gardens like the Abbey Gardens, as they tend to be found more in woodland and heathland. We have had no other reports. As ticks can be found anywhere on any land, it would not be proportionate to put up signs at every open location. Signage is usually found on land where ticks are more commonly found. We follow national guidance on these matters. Lyme disease is a bacterial infection that can be spread to humans by infected ticks. It is usually easier to treat it if diagnosed early. Not all ticks in England carry the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, but the NHS says it is still important to be aware of ticks and to safely remove them as soon as possible. A Market Town's festive programme is very ambitious, despite not hosting the popular Christmas fair, a council leader has said. Last winter, there were calls for greater aspiration over the replacement for the Bury St Edmunds Christmas fair after many visitors were left disappointed with the scale of what was on offer. 
a series of smaller events organised by partners have been taking place instead of the West Suffolk Council-run fair since winter 2021, with highlights this year including a synthetic ice rink at the Ark Shopping Centre and Peter and the Wolf live in the Abbey Gardens. Councillor Nick Clark, leader of the Conservative group at West Suffolk Council, is amongst those with a view that the Berry Christmas Fair, which attracted about 100,000 people over several days, should have been brought back. However, Councillor Cliff Waterman, Labour Party, leader of West Suffolk Council, felt it had outlived its purpose and become stale. He said lots of people had enjoyed it, he himself included, but it had become the same stallholders coming back year after year, and some businesses and residents felt it was an intrusion into their normal routine. I think what we are doing now is a lot more effective. Smaller events, but a lot of them, so that keeps it fresh, he said. He added, in terms of Christmas, I think we have a very ambitious programme working with our partners, but also working with the constraints we have got. He said the fair had been a huge organisational effort and expensive to put on, and with budgetary constraints, the council had to be very careful about how it spent its money, so has been asking local organisations about what they can do. I would say to anyone, please do come to Bury St Edmunds at Christmas, as it will still be a magical place and somewhere they can enjoy, he said. Council Clark said the Christmas fair had been something to be proud of and put Bury on the map. We want to attract football into Bury St Edmunds, he said. Footfall into Bury St Edmunds, my apologies. Uh, he said, all the businesses are all under pressure these days, and when you attract people for these big events, it can only be good for the economic well-being of the town, and I'm afraid this doesn't help. He added, we need to be ambitious, and it just feels a bit more like we are starting to lose our ambition at West Suffolk a bit. And now we're going to move on to our general news. Bosses at the Trust, which runs West Suffolk Hospital, have told its longest waiting patients that they are working incredibly hard to see them as soon as possible. The reassurance from Dr Ewan Cameron, CEO of West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, was published in papers ahead of an Open Trust Board meeting which took place on Friday, September the 29th. Dr Cameron said, While we are working very hard to clear our waiting list, we have been impacted by the ongoing industrial action. At the end of August, there were 57 patients waiting more than 78 weeks. Looking forward to our goal of significantly reducing those waiting more than 65 weeks by March 2024, at the end of August, there were 566 patients in this bracket. I would like to reassure our longest waiting patients that we are working incredibly hard to see you as quickly as possible. Dr Cameron believes the coming winter months will be vital for the hospitals and community services. He said, we know this autumn and winter, like the ones before, it will bring with it many challenges which we are preparing diligently for. There is the continued British Medical Association, the BMA, junior doctor and consultant industrial action, a rise in the prevalence of the new BA286 COVID-19 variant, as well as the increased risk of flu within our communities, patients and staff. 
Dr. Cameron said he supports our colleagues' legal right to take strike action, but hopes the BMA and government can reach an agreement. The trusts are offering all their employees the COVID-19 and flu vaccines earlier than planned to help protect them against the illness. Hundreds flocked to St Edmundsbury Cathedral at the weekend to attend the County Harvest Festival and enjoy family activities. The cathedral opened its doors on Sunday with produce stalls, a farming live demonstration, crafts and animals, which included a Suffolk punch horse, red pole cattle and Suffolk sheep. Catherine Rayson, marketing and communications manager, said, We're really pleased with the Harvest Festival turnout and the visitors were able to get up close with some Suffolk punch horses, Suffolk sheep and sheep and farmer machinery, as well as engage with local farming through our partners at Farming Live. The tractors were a big hit with young visitors as they were our family activities. And a huge thank you to all those who left food donations. About 500 people attended the special Songs of Praise style service at 2pm, which included traditional hymns, readings and prayers. All donations will go to Gatehouse and Storehouse food banks. A Bury St Edmunds resident has voiced her frustration at the state of the area where she lives, which she says looks like a complete and utter mess. Joe Owen, who lives on the Milton Hall Road estate, has noticed overgrown weeds and bushes, cracked pavements and fallen branches as she has walked around the area. She believes it is a hazard to residents, particularly elderly people and mums with pushchairs. She said, it looks like a complete and utter mess. I saw people cutting the bushes themselves because they were fed up of the state looking like this. I've nearly tripped over some of those weeds on the pavements. On the trees there's branches fallen down and some of the branches are so low you have to bend down. We pay the council money to provide us a service. Miss Owen was going to read a statement about the issue at Tuesday's West Suffolk Council meeting, but due to disruption she was unable to do so. However, it is not West Suffolk Council's responsibility to maintain roads and paths, but falls under the Suffolk County Council's remit. On the disruption caused at the meeting, a District Council spokesperson said, Those who were not on this occasion able to address the meeting were invited to send their statements or questions to the Council, which will be shared with all members and addressed as appropriate. Suffolk Council Council was approached for comment. A public awareness campaign has been launched around the effects of long Covid, with many Suffolk residents still reporting problems months and years after coming down with the virus. The Suffolk and North East Essex Long Covid Assessment Service, which shortens to SNELCAS, is offering to refer patients with long Covid to citizens' advice for non-medical support. It is seeking to promote its service locally, noting that many are unaware of the symptoms of long COVID, even if they are suffering from it themselves. Telltale signs of long COVID include fatigue, loss of smell, muscle aches and shortness of breath, among others. Snellcast is particularly eager to engage with marginalised communities or demographics which might otherwise be less inclined to seek support for the condition. 
These include BAME and traveller communities, as well as people with disabilities, prisoners and young males aged between 16 and 25. Sarah Fowler, Snellcast Joint Clinical Lead, said, We are delighted to be able to refer our patients into Citizens Advice for non-clinical support. We have run extensive digital bus and billboard campaigns throughout Suffolk and North East Essex to raise awareness of the condition and have linked in with voluntary sector partners to help spread the word to different communities. We are grateful to our colleagues at Citizens Advice for helping to amplify these messages further and empower more people with the knowledge to seek the right support. Carol Eagles, CEO of Citizens Advice West Suffolk, said... We really want people to know about this important service because hundreds of people are being affected by long COVID and it has a massive impact on many areas of their lives. People are losing their jobs, families, friends and even their homes because they are too unwell to work, socialise or manage their life administration. We are here to help with the social aspects of their long COVID recovery. Concerns over regressive gender equality have been raised by West Suffolk councillors. During the full council meeting last Tuesday, Cliff Waterman, the authority's leader, was prompted to address worries about gender equality within the cabinet. As it stands, the split between the genders is eight male and two female. Councillor Sarah Mildmay-White of Ruffham Ward said, It really distresses me that the new administration seems to be sidelining women. It's meant to be the progressive alliance, but it looks more like a regressive one. Councillor Waterman reaffirmed his commitment to gender equality within the council and indicated the real problem was more complicated. He said, there is a problem, let's be clear about this, and it's not just a gender problem. There's a problem in getting working-class people to commit to being a councillor. You can count any group and find there's a disparity, and I think that's just a rather facile way of looking at it myself. Equality is more than just counting the numbers in a certain group. Councillor Donna Higgins, a cabinet member for families and communities, added the split was not a matter of choice, but chance. She said... The West Suffolk as Working Party is made up of two distinct groups. What happened is that the Cabinet is a complete balance for equality for those two groups. In the independents, not many women gained a position as councillor. That's not our choice. It's not their choice. It's the choice of the people who voted for them. Concessions have been made to allow for the delivery of better public transport in Mid-Suffolk. The decision was made during a meeting of Mid-Suffolk Council's Cabinet on October the 3rd. The funding is part of a ring-fenced £820,000 project to deliver rural community transport utilising zero-carbon electric buses, which had been paused in February. However, due to the two-year delay in electric vehicle procurement, councils have decided to make several concessions. The funding will be used to issue grants meant to deliver routes which cover as much of the district as possible. It will focus on strategic places which include rail stations, colleges and places with a high density of young people and over 65s. Proposed locations include Thurston, Elmswell, Woolpit, Stowmarket, 
Claydon and Barham, I and Debenham. Councillor Rachel Eburn, Cabinet Member for Finance and Resources, said, This will help address an issue communities are crying out for. A lecturer from West Suffolk College joined the celebrity chef Richard Corrigan and others by driving a flock of sheep across Southwark Bridge in London. Carpentry lecturer Brian Tunbridge from Bury St Edmunds has become a liveryman of the worshipful company of joiners and sealers. On receiving this honour, he became a freeman of the City of London, which enables him to take part in a reboot of an old tradition where farmers used to take their sheep to market across a bridge in London. He successfully navigated the animals during the occasion in late September that was organised by the Worshipful Company of Woolmen to help celebrate farming. He described it as an odd and bizarre day, but said it felt good to be taking part in such an iconic event. A split decision has been made on signage for Bury St Edmund's new Primark after an LED strip light was branded a visually incongruous addition to the street scene. Primark sought advertising consent for the store, which is due to open on the ground and first floors of the former Debenhams at the town's Ark shopping centre. West Suffolk Council officers recommended a split decision on the plans as they were, in favour of an illuminated fascia sign, but not an illuminated LED linear strip light. In a report, they said removal of the LED strip light was encouraged by officers, but the applicant's agent insisted on its retention. The illuminated fascia sign which was approved was the only element of the proposed proposal considered to be suitably and aesthetically sympathetic to the area, they said. However, officers refused the LED linear strip. They said the strip light failed to comply with the ARC design guidelines and the proposed advertisement was considered a dominant and visually incongruous addition to the street scene, detracting from the visual amenity of the area. Members of the Berry Parker League raised £1,000 for West Suffolk Hospital's My Wish charity, all by playing their favourite game. In all, 56 players attended the Morton Hall Community Centre on August the 26th for a tournament fundraiser. The league has been running a match at the same location every Wednesday for five years. Proceeds from the special event have been donated to My Wish Children's Appeal. Sean Hale, one of the league's co-founders, said, We have up to 24 people play every Wednesday in the league. And when we carried out the tournament, we had a total of 14 teams of four taking part. We had some marvellous raffle prizes from generous donors, and there were quite a wide range of people that came along. When retired police officer Steve Barrett wrote to Adams Brewery 15 years ago and asked them to have a part in the next chapter of his professional life, little did he know it would snowball. Passionate about beekeeping since the late 1960s, Steve had decided to become a full-time beekeeper. He wrote to Adams asking to form a partnership in which he would provide a beekeeping service for the East Coast. Today, Steve is celebrating having created a bee corridor of over 18 miles along the Suffolk coast, which includes some 40 hives and seven apiaries. He also recently 
He's also recently been announced as head beekeeper for Raymond Blanc's prestigious Le Manoir aux Quatre Saisons, where he is training Michelin star chefs to be his apprentice beekeepers. Steve Seventy from Lowestoft says, I work with some wonderful people and I'm particularly proud of my relationship with Adams. They really care about sustainability and understand how important it is for me that the bees are well cared for. There are six hives at one of Adams' locations in Raiden and others at various locations along the corridor, thanks to the landowners in the area. Steve also gets involved in renovation and wood-based creative work for the brewery. He says, This is the time of year when you stop feeding the bees and I travel around to check on the hives, restore and repair them. I'll also do things for Adams, like using old whiskey barrels to create bait hives or the dog bar. I've created a dog bar I've created at the Adams store in Southwold. The weather has made this year tricky for Steve and his bees. He explains, a dry spring doesn't produce a high nectar yield, which has a knock-on effect. Active on Instagram, Steve had just bought what he calls Barrett's Bees VW Campervan. He'll be travelling in this trusty vehicle over the autumn, visiting his hives, and no doubt making plans to expand the bee corridor even further. And now we're going to go on to our letters. My first letter is from Graham Day from Stowmarket, and he heads the letter this week. Food banks are sad indictment of UK. Sorry, indictment of UK. I was interested to see the picture and article, Berry Free Press, September the 29th, about the supermarket sweep held in the Ark shopping centre to collect items for the Gatehouse Food Bank. What a novel way to help the food bank, while also ensuring publicity for the food bank cause. When I was growing up, food banks did not exist and were probably unnecessary. In March 2023, the DWP published statistics which indicated that 2.1 million people in the UK had sought the help of food banks in the previous year. Indeed, many people would not be able to survive without this help. The situation is also exasperated by the fact that the nations at food bank collecting points in supermarkets often seems to be dangerously low. In a country which is still comparatively rich, this is appalling. Individuals may fall on hard times for no fault of their own. You may have a fine home and a comfortable lifestyle, but I know by working with disadvantaged individuals and through my own experience in the early 2000s, you are only what seems a wafer-thin line between prosperity and destitution. It can happen overnight. Full marks to the Ark for an innovative idea, and I hope that more donations flow to the food bank as a result to enable them to carry on with their good works. However, as always, it's a crippling indictment on our self-seeking and out-of-touch politicians that they allow this situation to continue year upon year. It is not the mark of civilised society, and they should be ashamed, but predictably, they are not. My first letter is headed, Why It's Still Good to Talk About Everything. Cast your minds back. Do you remember the film The Long Good Friday? 
The late Suffolk-born actor Bob Hoskins starred and the haunting image of him off to his imminent death stays with me even today. Then there were his adverts in the 1990s for British Telecom. It's good to talk, was the message. And how true that remains today, be that a spat at work or home, or even something as serious as the pay strikes by the NHS staff. Getting round a table and thrashing out differences and solutions, however unpalatable, has to be the grown-up path. With the NHS, the desire to resolve issues becomes ever more focused when you learn of the trail of either missed or postponed operations. Here, in West Suffolk, 57 patients have been waiting more than 78 weeks for treatment of one kind or another. Meanwhile, 566 patients have been waiting for more than 65 weeks. These figures are eye-watering, and, politics aside, if that's possible with the NHS, those figures represent families and individuals left in limbo. The time has come to find a solution and resolve the misery of those who rely on the NHS to be there when they need it most. And that's from Barry Peters, the editor. My next letter is from Don Black, and he is in Dis, and heads the letter from Penny Black to £1.25. On Monday, October the 2nd, the price of sending a letter by first-class post went up by 14% to £1.25, the second rise this year. That's quite a leap since the Penny Black came into being in 1840, depicting Queen Victoria. Until then, our postage was complicated and unfair, with the recipient having to pay by size of the letter and the distance it had travelled. The Penny Black made life much simpler, in a way that computers do, although some of us may at times disagree. Similarly, our younger daughter, Penelope Penny, wasn't always pleased with the choice of her given name, as a schoolgirl at Felixstowe. However, she was happy to respond to a national request for a living Penny Black, then be chosen to appear in publicity for an international stamp fair in London, all thanks to the infant post office in 1840. And that was from Don Black. Politicians could learn from staff in the NHS. Has our country been the recipient of some form of of toxic idiot wind, or am I still under the influence of drugs under my recent visits to West Suffolk and Papworth hospitals? I turn on my TV and immediately find derogative reports of our wonderful NHS, along with long waiting lists, delays, a failure to hit targets, striking staff, and replacement staff receiving payments of £3,000 for just one shift. There is no mention of the difficulty of working with 100,000 staff shortage. No mention of how well they all performed during the pandemic, even with a lack of PPE. And little reference to the fact that many of the hospital buildings are crumbling and held up by temporary supports. Now we are informed that some female members of staff have been subjected to sexual abuse and rape. My support will mean little, but I have to say that my seven days at West Suffolk Hospital and a further week at Papworth were a walk in the park, thanks to all members of staff. From my admission to my discharge, I could not have expected or asked for more. The service was incredible. I spoke with staff members from Uganda, China and Sri Lanka. One charming nurse even offered to do a little shopping for me in her own time, 
as I had not expected to be kept in for so long. The food was surprisingly good, and the tea ladies at both hospitals managed to lift my spirits daily. They were lovely people. Those skin-shedding morons who slither daily through our corridors of power could learn a great deal about job dedication and duty from our NHS staff. Our NHS is the true crown of our country. Another fairly recent form of lunacy is also bothering me somewhat, and that is the constant flood of TV ads involving gambling. Win a million pounds, win a house, find a word and win £10,000, play bingo on your mobile, win a supercar, win £100,000 on a holiday. It really has become a circus of life, with the government being the clowns, much of the media in control of production, and yet again the public financing the entire agenda. Never in my 71 years have I seen our country so low. That's from Bob Darville. And Bob Jones from Bury St Edmunds writes, What's gone wrong with my mail? What is going on with local mail deliveries? Where I live, I haven't seen sight or sound of one for three days. My topical news news magazine, which should drop through my door on a Friday, is nowhere to be seen. I received a card through the letterbox last week informing me that I had to pay a surcharge of £1.10 for a postal item for which inadequate postage had been paid, but that it would be delivered on Saturday if I made an online payment. To avoid an unnecessary journey to the sorting office, I allowed the advice given. I followed the advice given. Did I get it delivered on Saturday? Did I, heck. Monday, still waiting. Royal Mail has justified its increase in first-class postage by their costly legal obligation to deliver to any house in the UK six days a week. It seems to me that they are wriggling out of this commitment by stealth. And our last letter is from John Watkin, and it's about time traffic was curtailed. The amount of traffic in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre is astronomical. It's about time the council restricted vehicles in the town centre. A lot of the people are local, therefore are able to walk. For goodness sake, promote walking, though obviously people with disabilities are excluded. And now we're going to move on to our features and Rob has our first one. This feature is uh, an article from Joe Churchill, our MP for Bury St Edmunds. So there are some mornings that are just wonderful, and for me, last Monday was one. I was stood on the site of the new hospital, Hardwick Manor, in the sun, watching turf being lifted in beautiful two, big two-metre-wide slabs. But what, I hear you ask as you read this, is so special about a big turf being lifted? Simply, it marks progress, tangible progress, towards our new hospital. These slices of sandy soil and grass are off to be rehomed in South Suffolk, for which planning was sought and received with thanks to the team at West Suffolk Council, who have been solidly behind us achieving this build, as they contain some special fungi. These fungi include wax caps, can take decades if not centuries to get going, so with the help of Professor Gareth Davis of Aberyst with Abbott University, they are off to do just that at new homes in Hadley and Seema. 
This has been a real Suffolk effort in the field, with the site manager George and the digger driver from Ipswich showing me the newly designed hydraulic cutter produced especially for the delicate job. From the cab, the machine cuts, lifts and places the sections onto purpose-built pallets ready for transport. Talking to the archaeologist Sean, also from Ipswich, she then sweeps the site, hoping not to discover anything significant under the turf. My trips to this site have been happening for some years, even before its purchase, when the potential to relocate here was obvious. I have continuously lobbied Chancellor and Health Secretary since 2015 on our need to have a new hospital. This was not only a capacity issue. I remember clearly many years ago being shown by Jackie Grimwood, the estate's work stream lead, how we were shoring the building, which is much made from reinforced and autoclaved aerated concrete, known as rack these days, I've seen ceilings to walls exposed and additional supports to beams and to the floor. The cost of work has been significant in the £60 million bracket. The mitigation work and the way staff have copied has been phenomenal. Coped, sorry, have been phenomenal. But there is no greater priority than this hospital being started. Therefore, I have asked the government to allow us to fast-track the build. The team here at West Suffolk Hospital led by Gary Norgate, are ready, and we have all been working in our respective jobs to be the first hospital under the new programme. We have daily meetings, and to succeed, the process will have to be con- con- concertinate, con- and not skimping, or concertinate, and not skimping, but emboldening. We will use modern design techniques with the ability to build at speed the 600 single-roomed hospital pioneered by technology. Working with a new hospital programme team to squeeze timeline down, we need a new hospital, not in the 2030s, but delivered in the next five years. I am straining every sinew to bring that to fruition. Our hospital treats all of Bury and beyond. It's treated our children, our parents and us. I want the staff to have a workplace fit for the 21st century. We visit a hospital and sometimes we stay, but it is the staff who are there 365 days of the year. Some people have asked me why we need a new hospital, remembering the current one being shiny and new back in 1974. There are three reasons. Firstly, rack. Secondly, its size. And thirdly, the evolution of medicines and medical care. And at times in our recent past, its revolution in how it treats and cares. Last Monday was a momentous day for me. It was an exciting start. But I'll save the celebrations for the topping out party. We've got this far by working together and not accepting no for an answer and offering solutions. Let's hope in the next few weeks and months we can win the race and start to build. This month, the EAD communist columnist Michael Cole uh, gives his opinion and discusses the declining influence of Christianity. Christianity is dead in Britain, according to some senior Anglican clerics. If true, that's bad news for the Church of England, but worse for the adherents to other religions who have settled here. English law is based on Judeo-Christian morality, the Ten Commandments, love thy neighbour, turn the other cheek, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We don't cut off a thief's hand, we do not stone an adulterous woman to death, He that is without sin among you, said Jesus Christ, 
Let him first cast a stone at her. Justice is administered with equity. No detention without trial, innocent until proven guilty. Verdicts tempered with mercy when merited. The baying mob howling for revenge does not prevail. Christianity has defined Western civilization, which, for all its faults, is so attractive that people risk their lives to live under the rule of law in a liberal democracy with a Christian king. Our culture has happened by accident. People have had to be taught to be good, kind and just. Man is an animal, with animal instincts, now all the more apparent as Christianity fades. Without our biblical faith, murder, rape, incest and robbery without violence would have defined a brutal existence for us all centuries ago, the strong forever oppressing the weak. People used to learn right from wrong from their parents who learned it at a Sunday school. Now, as the Anglican Church neglects its primary duty to preach the word of God, young people don't know who the Good Samaritan was and why the Sermon of the Mount is important to their personal lives. Charles Dickens taught people compassion. Early Hollywood taught the world how to dream, as Norma Desmond declares in Sunset Boulevard. Many screenwriters were European Jews. They adapted biblical stories and themes to shape public morality. Now people are exposed to unrelating screen violence, depicting human degradation. Who will save us from the post-Christian world of immor immorality, increasing violence and screaming mobs demanding their rights while ignoring the public good? Not the Church of England. It has given up. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, said, The loss of faith is not all bad. That says it all. This is a historical article. Some things are just too hard or too bizarre to explain, like why the makers of walking boots don't use longer laces, or how you stop sunglasses sliding down your nose when you're wearing sun cream. Far more baffling, however, is the story of the green children of Woolpit. This piece of Suffolk folklore about a pair of little green-skinned children found in the West Suffolk village may have a modern explanation, but imagine what went through the minds of those 12th century villagers who chanced upon them. They must have thought they were from another world and probably not a very nice one. Events took place during the reign of King Stephen, a particularly tumultuous time in England's history called the Anarchy between 1138 and 1153 when civil war raged in England and Normandy, leading to a widespread breakdown of law and order. In mainly peaceful Woolpit, Woolpit, spelled W-L-F-P-Y-T-T apparently, in Old English meaning pit for trapping wolves around 1150, a group of villagers working in the fields came across two young children who mysteriously appeared near the aforementioned pits. They were dressed in strange clothes, spoke gibberish and acted somewhat nervously, and they had green skin. According to writings at the time by Ralph of Coggeshall, the feral children were taken to the nearby home of Sir Richard de Carn. He offered them food, but they refused to eat. This went on for several days until the children came across some green beans in Richard de Carn's garden, which they devoured straight out of the ground. 
The children are believed to have lived with Richard de Caen for some years, surviving on harvested beans brought to them by villagers. They eventually developed a taste for bread and other foods, at which point, according to the writings of the day, the children began to lose their green complexion. They also slowly learned to speak English. When asked where they had come from and why their skin had been green, they replied they were inhabitants of the land of St. Martin, who was regarded with particular veneration in the country which gave us birth. They claimed to be ignorant of how they arrived in Woolpit, remembering only that one day, when feeding their father's flocks in the fields, they heard a great sound like the chiming of St. Edmund's Cathedral bells, became entranced, and suddenly found themselves among the villagers of Woolpit reaping in the fields. The sun does not rise upon our countrymen. Our land is little cheered by its beams. We are contented with that twilight which, among you, precedes the sunrise or follows the sunset, they explained. Moreover, a certain luminous country is seen, not far distant from ours, and divided from it by a very considerable river. Richard de Caen took them to be baptised in a local church, but the boy died soon afterwards from an unknown illness. The girl, later known as Agnes, continued to work for Richard de Caen for many years before marrying the Archdeacon of, Italy, of Ely, Richard Barr. According to one report, they had at least one child. So, who were the green children of Woolpit? The most likely explanation is that they were the children of Flemish immigrants who had been persecuted and possibly killed by King Stephen or King Henry II. Lost, confused and orphaned, they found their way to Woolpit, speaking only their native tongue of Flemish, which seemed like gibberish to the villagers. The children's green hue could have been due to malnourishment or green sickness, supported by the fact that their skin reverted to normal once they began eating food other than beans. And we're going to end with um, a good news story, although it does start off with a, a sad element. When Alastair Wheeler was diagnosed with a rare cancer ten years ago next month, it turned his teenage brother's world upside down. Cameron Wheeler never finished his A-levels that year because he wanted to be with his brother. Sadly, Alastair died in 2013 at the age of just 24 from a rare form of cancer, having been cared for the Teenage Cancer Trust Ward at Addenbrooke's Hospital. When Alistair Wheeler diagnosed with a rare cancer ten years ago next month, it turned his teenage brother's world upside down. After his brother's death, Cam was devastated. He set himself a fundraising challenge and cycled through Death Valley in Nevada, raising £23,000 for the Teenage Cancer Trust then went to work for it an intern in London. The charity very much supported his brother, said Cam. And now, aged 28, Cam is running a successful market garden veg box scheme called Five Rod Farm, which is based in a former wheat field on Kenton Hall Estate in Debenham. He grows all the vegetables, flowers and other produce himself and sells it to the public. He finds the process very good for his mental well-being. He was inspired by many events from the aftermath of his brother's death to his experiences cycling abroad. He fits his growing around his day job, 
working three days a week for the Air Managed Suffolk, a holiday lettings business. Cam returned to Suffolk three years ago. His brother had a huge influence on the music he listened to and inspired him to study music in London. He started putting on his own live shows and festivals in his spare time while working for a music agency. But after returning from the cycling challenge from Sudan and Ethiopia, he found it difficult to settle back in London life and moved back to Suffolk in January 2020 to take time out from the city. His interest in growing was sparkled when he found himself at a loose end after the pandemic struck. It was barely into his new job when he was furloughed in March 2020. He started growing crops from his seeds in his parents' garden in Aldringham, near Leyston, and developed five rod farm after finding there was a market out there for the produce he was growing. Using social media, he was able to develop a customer base. During my time being furloughed, I got itchy feet, and we had a bit of space in the annex at the end of my parents' garden. My mum gave me some vegetable seeds, and I sowed these seeds, he explains. That's when I got a real interest in growing food, and I found it very therapeutic. He felt the huge benefits to, of his mental health. The following year, after moving to Saxmundham, he started growing an allotment in Friston, and loving how people were reacting to the food he grew. I had excess produce I was supplying to friends and family, and was enjoying the look on people's faces, he said. He taught himself how to grow using the no-dig method, and began to notice how good fresh produce tasted when grown without chemicals. He used organic matter, such as rotted end manure, to feed his soil. People think you need to aerate your soil, but actually, if you let the microorganisms thrive, they'll create these air pockets and eat through the well-rotted manure. He wanted to expand his operation and turn to his farmer friend. He had been at Woodbridge School in the year above second-generation farmer Tom McVeigh of Kenton Hall, and Tom, whose family has developed a host of farming diversifications, was happy to offer up a sizable former crop field. So, in September last year, he started work on the plot, building a shelter and adding a polytunnel. I said I would like to supply more people with healthy organic produce, says Cam. The offering from the supermarket is pretty poor. In terms of the produce you get, it's wrapped in a single-use plastic, it's travelled hundreds of miles, and just seem crazy to me there are not more things grown in the UK and locally. Cameron works on his market garden in the mornings and evenings before and after work, at weekends and his days off. He enjoys sharing the space with people, he says. His vegetable plot has hosted a band, and a visiting film crew has been capturing Cannes' first year in the site. It's very labour-intensive, he admits, and he estimates he has shoveled about 70 tonne of rotted manure. But he is passionate about the idea of people eating fresh produce. He also wants to get the younger generation engaged in growing food and markets his produce through 
um, Faro Farm on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. Among the host of crops he grows are courgettes, onions, garlic, tomatoes, aubergines, cucumber, melon, squash, lettuce, parsley, broccoli, kale, chilies and beetroot. He uses some unusual varieties you won't find in supermarket and supplies Bonitas Whole Foods in Stone Market as well as fulfilling some local orders. He grows flowers as his mother completed a floristry course at Suffolk Rules College campus at Otley, and it made sense to grow her some, he says. He also includes edible flowers such as marigolds on his growing area for the beneficial insects including pollinators that they attract. He will carry on fulfilling his box orders until it becomes too wintry to cultivate any more vegetables this season. He would like to expand, as he still has plenty of unused space in the field. Gourmet mushrooms is another area he's interested in development. He's also looking at planting fruit trees and broadening the range of produce he can offer. Well, what an inspiring young man. We have now come to the end of this edition of St Edmund's Bree News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and New Market Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Ruth and Paul, Rob and Sue, it's goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.